Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you're tuning in with us. My name is Mike Jude. I'm one of the pastors here at Scarlet City Church, where we believe that we are people joining God's story of transformation and renewal. I'm really grateful that you're here watching with us. If you consider Scarlet City Church your home, or if you're a visitor, and as it may have been said before, if you are a visitor, we urge you to visit our website, uh, to explore our website, but also to follow the Connect tabs to share your information with us. We would love to get to know you and to hear about what brought you to Scarlet City Church this morning uh, via our digital worship gathering. Well, in the past three weeks, we've been looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, and how Paul, the author, urges us to be unified. Paul urges us to be united in the gospel, to be united in our hearts, and to be united in our purpose. In our current climate, there is so much division in uh, our response to the pandemic, division in civil rights, and division in the political world, amongst so many other places where there's extreme division. In the pursuit of unity, it must be a priority and it must influence how we participate in community life, both in our faith community and in our city. This morning, we'll be looking specifically at Philippians 2, verses 3 through 11, which Pastor Jay just read for us a few moments ago. In verses 3 and 4, we see a crystal clear exhortation to be motivated by love and care for others and to share the concerns of others, not just our own concerns. Then Paul, in verse 5, he sets up this incredible section calling us to have the same attitude, the same motivation of Christ. In verses 6 through 11, this is either a poem or a hymn or a creed written by Paul or by somebody else. But in any case, these five verses, they would have been familiar to the original hearers. What makes these verses so amazing is that they actually show us the attitude, the motivation that Christ had in his life of humility. What an amazing gift we have to see the mind of Christ. The past three weeks, they've been integral in our understanding of unity, but without an understanding of Christ-like humility, we will fall short in our pursuit of unity. It is only in Christ-like humility that true unity is possible. It is only in Christ-like humility that true unity is possible. And we're going to take this time this morning to look at three specific aspects of Christ's example of humility. Firstly, looking at verse 6, we see that humility, it flows from communion with the triune God. Humility flows from communion with the triune God. Verse 6 says that Jesus was in the form of God. Now, in the English language, when we hear the word form, we often think it means physical or external form. The Greek word that Paul actually uses here, it's not that simple. When he says that Jesus was in the form of God, it means that Jesus possessed the unique qualities that make God unique. His otherness, his holiness, this was the form that Jesus is in. It is not that Jesus was like God or that he was some sort of demi-god, a demigod. Jesus possessed the full deity of the one God, Yahweh. 
Paul's letters, they're dated at the latest around 20 years after Christ's death. The fact that many scholars believe that this is widely familiar creed shows us that the belief in Jesus' deity was not something added on after his death. No, Jesus' deity was something that Jesus himself taught and his believers, or excuse me, his followers believed. So when we see this incredible uh, claim made that Jesus was equal to God, sharing in the fullness of deity, it means that Jesus was with God the Father for all of time before creation of the world with the Holy Spirit in perfect, loving relationship. The triune God was satisfied. So when we consider the fact that Jesus, the Son, He came to earth, we know it wasn't because He was unhappy. We know he didn't come to earth because there was something missing. We know that he wasn't unsatisfied. We know that God didn't create angels in the cosmos and humanity because he had something to give that he wasn't able to give. He wasn't simply lonely and looking for love. He didn't make us to meet an unmet need. Jesus, he didn't leave his heavenly home because he was unsatisfied. He came for our benefit. Many people serve others. You don't have to be uh, in a faith community. We live in a great city in Columbus where a lot of people serve generously. Sometimes in small unnoticed ways and often in big celebrated ways, but there is a real temptation for us to serve so that we'll be satisfied. We can serve to feel better about ourselves, or we serve to get recognition, or we serve to check it off, uh, check off the box on a list of what makes us a good person or, or, or what we should do. When we serve to get something, we end up empty, and at worst, the people we serve are left used and abused and unloved. Jesus came to earth to give, not to get. In the communion of the triune God, he had all that he needed. He came to give. Now, we are humans. We have limitations. We have needs. However, humility to serve each other, it must be an overflowing of our communion with the triune God, knowing that in that trinity, in the fullness of the triune God, we are satisfied and we are fulfilled. The second thing that we see in this text is that humility acknowledges both the physical and the spiritual. Humility acknowledges both the physical and spiritual needs. In verse 7, it says that Jesus shared in human nature. He became a man. And when this letter was written, the dominant Greco-Roman thought was that the physical world was bad and and our goal must be to transcend the material world. That was on the Western thought and then on the Eastern thought with Eastern religion and thought, it was believed that matter was just an, an illusion. It was unimportant. It didn't matter if Jesus became a man because being a man is an illusion anyways. But Jesus, he entered in to the physical world. He put on flesh and blood. He became subject to the nature of our world. He had to use the restroom. He sneezed. He had to sleep. He ate food in a time where the physical world was viewed at best as inconsequential. Jesus, inconsequential, excuse me, Jesus, he he fully entered into that world, putting on flesh, putting on blood, 
sharing in human nature. And today we can think of it in two competing camps. Either the physical world is our savior or this physical world is evil. Eat healthy and exercise. This is where you'll find your freedom. Live in comfort and entertainment and then you will be fulfilled. Or maybe it's on the other side, the idol of the religious, uh, of the religious to overemphasize the spiritual. That, that is our only focus, paying no mind to the actual physical hunger and homelessness that surrounds us in our city and in our world. Jesus, he does not separate the two. He puts on flesh and he enters into human nature, being fully God, possessing the fullness of deity. In his earthly ministry, Jesus, he made the blind see, he made the lame walk, he forgave sins, he exhorted people to pursue God's kingdom, he fed people and he ate with them, and he said that his food is to do the will of the Father. Jesus, he did not place the physical and spiritual world at odds. When we consider humility, we remember that I am a physical and a spiritual being. I have physical and spiritual needs. I need to care for myself physically and spiritually. But we also remember that others have physical and spiritual needs. That to love and care for them in Christ-like humility means to acknowledge them as both bodies and souls, caring for their spirit and caring for their being, their body. And lastly, we see that humility is only possible when we depend on the Father. Humility is only possible when we depend on the Father. Now, it wasn't enough for Jesus to solely become a man. If that was true, he could have come with great power like a king, or he could have come with great strength like a warrior, but he didn't. In verse 7, it says, He came to earth as a servant or a slave, depending on your translation. And when we think about our story, it's that we are not in the form of God, at least not in the way that Jesus is. So we're not in the form of God, and we think that equality with God is something to be grasped. So we fight for that equality. We fight to become kings of our own kingdom. We fight to define the rules of our own lives. Have you ever thought, you know, I know this didn't work for anybody else, but but maybe it's going to work for me. We fight to be kings. Or maybe you've thought the gospel invites me to live this way, but, but I think I could also live that way. We fight to be rulers of our own domains. It's because we want to be somebody. We want significance. We want equality with God, and so we fight for it. But what we see here is that Jesus, he found his name in losing it. Jesus got his identity in service. Jesus became somebody because he served something bigger than himself and lived in service to that. By entering human nature, by allowing himself to be tortured and murdered, Jesus, he didn't leave behind his deity, but he did empty himself and he had to depend on the Heavenly Father in a way that he hadn't had to before. He had to depend on the Father in a way that he didn't have to before. In Acts 10, verse 38, we see that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. 
in his human nature, Jesus lived the lives that we now live today, right now in Columbus, Ohio. And as Christians, we have that same power in the Holy Spirit that lives in us that Jesus had, that God anointed Jesus with. This is the life we now live, that same power. And when Jesus emptied himself, God filled him with the Holy Spirit. God filled him with power. Jesus lived on earth completely and utterly dependent on the Heavenly Father. And this is our same invitation to live in complete and utter dependence on the Heavenly Father. We need to fight for unity, yes, but without humility, without real genuine Christ-like humility, we will fall short. Jesus made himself lowly, not sacrificing his deity, uh, not sacrificing his identity, but he made himself lowly to serve us. I love the way that this creed concludes in verses 9 through 11. Let me read it. As a result, God highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is your motivation? Why pursue unity? Do you want to pursue unity to avoid conflict? Do you want to pursue unity to be praised, to be recognized? Do we want to pursue unity so that we can be right and we can just win people over to our side? Our invitation, our exhortation from this passage in Philippians is that we are to have the same attitude, the same mind, the same motivation as Christ. The motivation that every knee will bow at the name of Jesus and confess his lordship to the glory of God the Father. This is why we serve. This is why we live in humility. This is why we want to be united in the gospel, united in heart, and united in purpose with an identity of Christ-like humility so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incarnation of Christ. We thank you for his example. We thank you that you have given us the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, exhorting us, admonishing us, encouraging us. I pray that you would continue to transform our hearts and our minds to be able to mirror the humility of Christ, to pursue humility, humility so that you would be glorified above all else. We pray all of this in the name of your Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.